0: hey everyone hope you are enjoying your evening wherever you are and welcome to another episode of sessions episode number 25 in today's episode is a rather um a sad one revolving around a gun and we will follow up with the last one being the alabama fire but without further ado or further delay, let's get right into it. Uh, but just before, um you know to follow me on follow us on Instagram at Seth Sessions Media. Uh you can check out our website, sessionsmedia.media dot com. And obviously make sure to subscribe slash follow us on our podcast platform which are Apple Podcasts, Spotify, etc. But, again, without any delay, let's get right into it. So, a 12-year-old boy was taken into custody Monday after authorities said he shot another boy at a Northern California school. Oakland Police Chief Lerone Armstrong told reporters that the victim... 13 was stable after the shooting Monday afternoon at Madison Park Academy. It wasn't clear if the suspect attended the school in the city's Suburban Park neighbourhood, NBC Bay Area reported. Armstrong said officers quickly and safely took him into custody. Armstrong said a motive was unknown. It saddened me to think a kid would bring a gun to school, he said. No parents want to send their kids to school in the day and then be called saying your kids are being shot. It's the worst call you can get. Additional details about the shooting were not immediately available and the spokesperson did not respond to a request for comment. Oakland, a city of less than half a million people east of San Francisco, recorded six killings in recent days, including a triple homicide Friday that involved a retaliatory shooting and a bicyclist who was fatally struck by an out-of-control vehicle, Armstrong said. The number of killings in the city this year is nearly on par with the number of homicides last year which recorded a surge in fatal gun violence. As of Monday, there had been 83 homicides in the city, two less than the same time frame last year, Armstrong said. And so, uh, unfortunately, as I said, there are no further details as of yet. And I will, obviously, if I do find or hear of any updates I will obviously uh, keep you updated on that but I will wish him the best of a speedy recovery and I you know, hope that his family are doing okay given the circumstances so with that little brief you know, story, let's move over to Alabama. So, Irvington, Alabama, authorities believe a child playing with a cigarette lighter started a mobile home fire in South Alabama. That killed the young boy and a sibling. The sheriff's office investigating the fire said Monday, Investigators found the butane lighter next to a mattress that caught fire in the children's bedroom. The Mobile County Sheriff's Office said in a news release they said preliminary autopsy results indicate smoke inhalation and burns killed four year old Liam Liam Barnes and two year old Nora Gordon when their home burned last week in Irvington, southwest of Mobile. Sheriff investigators said the children's mother was next door visiting a neighbour where she saw smoke pouring from her home. Carly Sherman rushed inside the burning mobile home and rescued her 10-month-old son from his crib, but couldn't save the other two. Smoke detectors inside the mobile home near the children's bedroom weren't working. According to the Sheriff's Office, it said investigators consulted with local prosecutors and decided no charges will be filed. (laughs) As of yet, no details. Um and so (laughs) it's not (laughs) <laughs> it's a hard one Because obviously You know Obviously The mum is obviously upset And distraught But should the, should the kids Have been left alone By themselves I don't, With the lighter I don't think so But We can never judge someone Like you know We can't judge their penalties down, you know, but either way, it's very sad. Corrections officials apparently botched an inmate's execution last month. An anti-death penalty group alleges, citing the length of time that passed before the prisoner received the lethal injection and a private autopsy indicating his arm may have been cut to find a vein. Joe Nathan James Jr. was put to death July 28th at an Alabama prison for the 1994 shooting death of his former girlfriend. The execution was carried out more than three hours after the US Supreme Court denied a request for a stay. Subjecting a prisoner to three hours of pain and suffering is a definition of cruel and unusual punishment. Mayor Fo, director of Reprieve US Justice Initiative, a human rights group that opposes the death penalty, said in the statement. States cannot continue to pretend that the abhorrent practice of lethal injection is in any way humane. The Alabama Department of Forensic Science declined a request to release the state's autopsy of James, citing an ongoing review that happens after every execution. Officials have not responded to requests for comment on the private autopsy, which was first reported by the Atlantic. At the time of the execution, Alabama Corrections Commissioner John Ham told reporters that nothing out of the ordinary happened. Ham said he wasn't aware of the prisoner fighting or resisting officers. The state later acknowledged that the execution was delayed because of difficulties establishing an intravenous line, but did not specify how long it took. Dr. Joel Zivet, a professor of anesthesiology at Emory University and an expert on lethal injection, who witnessed the private autopsy said it looked like there were numerous attempts to connect a line. Zivet said he saw multiple puncture sites on both arms and two perpendicular incisions about 3-4 to cm, 1-1.5 to 1.5 inches in length in the middle of the arm which he said indicated that officials had attempted to perform a cut-down procedure in which the skin is open to allow visual search for a vein. He said the cut-down is an old style medical intervention rarely performed in modern medical settings and that it would be painful without anaesthesia. He also said he saw evidence of intramuscular injections not in the vicinity of a vein. The Alabama Department of Corrections Prison System issued a recent statement in which it noted that protocol states that if the veins are such that intravenous access cannot be provided, the team will perform a central line procedure which involved placing a catheter in a large vein. Fortunately, this was not necessary and with adequate time, intravenous access was established, the statement is said. Alabama does not allow witnesses from news outlets to watch the preparations for a lethal injection. They get the first glimpse of the execution chamber when an inmate is already strapped to the gurney, with the IV line connected. A reporter for the Associated Press who attended the execution observed that James did not respond when the warden asked if he had final words. His eyes remained closed except for briefly fluttering at one point early in the procedure. Lawyers who spoke with James by telephone said they were disturbed by his reported lack of movements and raised questions about what had happened before the lethal injection. Hammer said James was not sedated. That wasn't the Joe that I knew. He always had something to say. He always wanted to be in control, said James Hanson, the attorney who helped James file his appeal with the US Supreme Court. The fact that he did not give any sort of reaction and that he didn't open his eyes tells me something was up. John Palombi, a federal defender who spoke to James twice on the day of his execution, said James was certainly alert earlier in the day. The Atlantic quoted a friend of James as saying that the inmates had planned to make a final statement. Robert Dunham, Executive Director of the Death Penalty Information Centre, a national non-profit organisation that analyses issues concerning capital punishment, said the delay between the Supreme Court's go-ahead and the execution, combined with the US obviously, points to a botched execution, and it is among the worst botches in the modern history of the US death penalty. This execution is Exhibit A as to why execution secrecy laws are intolerable. Dunham wrote in an email to the AP, the public is entitled to know what went on here and what goes on in all Alabama executions. From the instant the execution team begins, the process and physically preparing the prisoner for the lethal injection until the moment the prisoner dies. And so... Basically, um, they basically messed up the execution. Basically, on an inmate. Um. Now, obviously, I don't know if this was. Um, I don't know if these officer, all of, I want, I don't know if these officials were, um, white. I'm not saying that this was and in any way racially motivated but just you know but for this for them to box an execution is a little bit suspicious. I mean the death penalty shouldn't <coughs> excuse me, shouldn't exist anyway. There shouldn't be any need for a death penalty, in my opinion um i mean it's for one thing it's archaic and um, we're not in the you know we're not in an in a era where we should be using that in my opinion um but they clearly missed that one up um i think let's move on to one final um article um that i found um Chhoshana, pakistan a third of the country underwater more than one thousand people killed and and an estimated 10 billion dollars of damage done pakistan's monster monsoon has swept away lives, home, crops and bridges, as weeks of historic rains fuel deadly flash floods. Almost half a million people have been displaced, with vast areas cut off from supplies and power. Footage shared with NBC News shows torrent sweeping away multi-storied buildings and inundated people up to their necks. Experts and local officials have drawn a direct line to human-made climate change, saying it illustrates how countries with the lowest contributions to the global crisis are becoming increasingly vulnerable to its effects and in dire need of urgent aid. On Tuesday, the United Nations issued a flash appeal for emergency funds, urging the world to give the South Asian nation its attention and aid. It was not less than a doom day for us, said Asgar Ali, a 56-year-old farmer who was forced to leave his home in the northern town of Chachada on Friday. Thousands of people just didn't have time to shift precious households to safe places, said Ali, who now lives with his livestock in a makeshift shelter alongside the Islamabad Peshawar motorway. We saved our lives, but the houses filled with flood water, life here on the motorway is a curse, he added. Pakistan's government has said that more than 33 million people, around 15% of the population, have been affected by the extreme weather. The extreme floods have killed more than 1,136 people since June, including 386 children and damaged a million homes. Pakistan's government said although rain stopped three days ago and flood of waters in some areas were receding, large areas remain submerged and the country's main rivers, the Indus and the Swat, are still swollen. The heavy floods have left a third of the country, an area the size of Wyoming, underwater. According to climate minister Sherry Remen, she has called this the monster monsoon of the decade and described the situation as a climate-induced humanitarian disaster of epic proportions. Authorities backed by the military, rescuers and volunteers have been battling the the aftermath but local officials and aid groups say the scale of the crisis means Pakistan cannot cope on its own. The government declared a state of emergency and on Tuesday the UN launched an appeal for 160 million in emergency funds for the country. Pakistan is awash in suffering. UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres said in a video message The Pakistani people are facing a monsoon on steroids, the relentless impacts of epical levels of rain and flooding. The country's south, southwest, and north have been hit hardest by the floods. The waters have also destroyed roads and bridges, further complicating relief efforts. The chief minister of the southern Pakistan province, Mir Abdul Qura Bizanjo told a news conference Monday. Life has become terrible here, said Riaz Khan, a resident of Kalam Valley in Pakistan's picturesque northern Swat district. We have been cut off from the rest of Pakistan since August 25th, as the floods had swept away roads and bridges linking us with downtowns, he added. He said the floods had left values, the valley's entire population of 40,000 without power supply. Aid groups are also calling for immediate assistance. We are seeing complete devastation. Karam Gondal, Save the Children's Pakistan doctor, said in a statement Monday, It is clear that this is a massive humanitarian and climate emergency. Children are always the worst affected. The floods are also a financial catastrophe, sweeping away crops, livelihoods and crucial infrastructure. The country has already suffered losses equaling ten billion due to the flooding. Finance Minister Mifta Ismail told reporters Monday around ninety percent of cotton crops have been destroyed in the Sindhi province, according to its chief minister. As compared to the 2010 devastating floods, this time casualties are less but the economic losses are much more. The Chief Minister of Pakistan's Kiba Pakhtunkhwa province, more than 1,700 people died in severe flooding in Pakistan in 2010. Most of the roads and bridges in the hilly areas of Malakand region had been washed away in the floods causing billion rupees of losses. The International Monetary Funds Executive Board on Monday agreed to release around 1.1 billion to Pakistan in the seventh installment of a bailout program to avoid default. The flooding has prompted warnings from activists that the effects of climate change are being disproportionately felt by countries that have done little to contribute to it. Fahid Saeed, an Islamabad-based analyst for Climate Analytics, said the group's analysis showed the recent heat wave that saw temperatures past 122 degrees Fahrenheit was made 30 times more likely due to climate change. Weather experts say higher temperatures directly lead to heavier rainfall as warmer air has a greater capacity to hold water, a phenomenon seen around the world in recent weeks. Saeed described Pakistan's flooding as the worst in the country's history in terms of people affected, warning it may worsen as the current monsoon season is still not over. The so unprecedented heat waves that like hit Pakistan this year has also accelerated the melting of glaciers in mountain ranges near northern Pakistan. Marcin Hafiz Pakistan representative at the International Water Management Institute said in an emailed statement today, this threatens further floods as the water could join the rain that has come crashing down from the northern mountains. People here are bearing the brunt of a global climate change. Islamic Relief Worldwide CEO Rasim Ahmed said in an emailed statement, Pakistan produces less than 1% of the world's carbon footprint, but its people are suffering the biggest consequences. Um, Correction, August 30th, 2022 at 10.16am Eastern Time, a previous version of this article misstated the weather event made thirty times more likely due to climate change. It was Pakistan's recent heatwave, not its current flooding. So I'm glad that they, I'm glad, I'm glad that they made that correction and updated it into this article, because um, we don't want any misinformation put out there, but. Yeah, um, things aren't looking great, um, I'm putting that lightly, you know, um, but yeah, um, as I say, um, if I, I'll keep an eye out for updates, um, regarding, um, the the shooting of the um 13 year old kid and other things but that will do for today's episode um but uh, yeah um i hope that all of you have had a (coughs) skimmy wonderful day uh spending time with your family friends looking after yourself and until the next episode um have a great evening and see you in the one.